The Seven Bowls of Wrath is the title of the sermon tonight. Monica, do you want notes? God's wrath being poured out on the earth. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 16. That's where we're at, Revelation chapter 16. Now, we need to know everyone deserves the wrath of God. May we never forget. May we never forget that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That everyone deserves the punishment of eternity in hell. That's the reality. And yet God so loved us that he sent his only son to go to the cross for us, to die, to take on the wrath of God so we don't have to. So how will we respond to the wrath of God coming? How are we going to respond to that? Some of us may respond with, it's not fair, this isn't right, and yet it is. I, I, I pray that this is our response. We are to respond in <clears throat> receiving God's free gift, but sadly, many will choose to refuse it. Many will choose to refuse God's free gift given. I hope that none of you are in that category tonight, that all of you have received his gift and that all of you are about the business of living in the gospel, sharing the gospel with others, the good news that God sent Jesus to be the substitute for us. He took on the wrath of God, so we don't have to. Revelation 16.1 says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. God from the temple speaking out. Go, pour them out. The Old Testament background for the pouring out of God's wrath comes from Leviticus 8.15 and Psalm 79.6. Leviticus 8.15 says, And he killed it, speaking of the sacrifice and Moses took the blood and with his fingers he put it on the horns of the altar around it and purified the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it that pouring out the pouring out of these bowls uh, from the altar the earth is uh, is being sanctified just as the pouring out of the sacrificial blood represented the cleansing of the tabernacle from de defilement of sin, so the pouring out of the bowls cleanses the earth from the defilement of sin through judgment. Okay, so this is that imagery. This is God preparing the world for the new heavens and the new earth that will be fully redeemed. Psalm 79, 6-7 says, Pour out your anger on the nations do not, that do not know you, and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste to his inhabitation. Psalm 79 is an impeccable. 
victory, that's the psalm prayed against somebody, against the nations for, for the bloodshed of Israel. God is the one that brings the judgment. And may we never forget that vengeance is the Lord's and he will repay. We're not to seek vengeance. God seeks vengeance on our behalf. In the bowls of wrath, we do not see God acting through human agents or through demonic spirits. In the bowls of wrath, he is acting through seven angels, each, and each bowl brings a supernatural result on the earth. Revelation 16, 2. So the first angel went out and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores, or evil and malignant sores, came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The Old Testament background for the plague of boils is, of course, Exodus 9, 8 through 11, and Deuteronomy 28, 35. 8 through 11 says, of Exodus says, And the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them into the air in the sight of Pharaoh, and they become fine dust over the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took the soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in souls on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians as and upon all the Egyptians. And then Deuteronomy 28:35, the Lord will strike on you. This is the punishment for not following God. The Lord will strike you on the knees and on the legs with grievous boils of which you cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. Boils, a act of judgment upon the earth. So the first bowl, the boils, are on all who worship the image of the beast and receive the mark. This is the consequence of not worshiping Yahweh, who is true and is just. Revelation 16.3 says, The second angel poured out the bowl into the sea, and it became like blood of a living corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The bowl is, is like the second trumpet in Revelation 8.8, 8, but it only affects one-third of the sea. This bowl affects the whole sea, becoming like blood, and all the living creatures of the sea die. This bowl, oh, I, I'm trying something new, so I'm having to fill in the blank, so I have to remember to click the clicker more, so bear with me. This sea, the sea represents a place of chaos in the Bible. It's the home of Leviathan, the seven-headed beast, which comes from the sea in Revelation 13.1. So God is judging the domain of Leviathan, as well as the sea where the world trade takes place. Revelation 16, 4 through 6 says, The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of the saints, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. 
The Old Testament background for the third bowl is Exodus 7.17. And the Old Testament background for God's character and his judge, just vengeance is Deuteronomy 32.4, Psalm 79.10, Isaiah 49.26. Exodus 7.17 says, Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall be turned into blood. The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. This is our God whom we love. This is our God whom we serve. Psalm 79.10 says, Why should the nation say, Where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. And then Isaiah 49, 26 says, I will make your oppressor eat their own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all the flesh shall know that I am the Lord, your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. In the third bowl, God is also answering the prayers of the saints under the altar, as seen in the fifth seal in Revelation 6, 9 through 10. Revelation 6, 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out in a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge all blood on those who dwell on the earth? So those who dwell on the earth are getting what they deserve. Here John uses the same Greek word to describe how the lamb is worthy. The lamb deserves worthy worship and honor and glory. Beale says, just as the lamb is worthy of adoration, so the enemies of God entirely worthy of justice they receive. So we all deserve the wrath of God. That, that is just fundamental because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the God. And the wages of sin is death. We all deserve the, the wrath of God. Yet God has given us the gift of salvation. He calls us to repentance. Will we respond to his gift? and calling and receive his gift or will we refuse him and receive what we deserve this is the the decision that we make that is put before every person on the planet it's not one to take lightly it's it's not one to put off Revelation 16, 8 through 9 says, The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had the power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The Old Testament background for the fourth bowl would be Deuteronomy 4, 24, 32, 22, and Zephaniah 1, 18. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, 
a jealous God. Deuteronomy 32, 22. For a fire is kindled by my anger, and it burns to the depths of Sheol. It devours the earth and its increase and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. Zephaniah 1.18 says, Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord in his fierce, in the fire of his jealousy. All the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. The audience, the author of Hebrews takes the reality of God becoming a, being a consuming fire and calls us to action in Hebrews 12, 18 through 19. Oh, through 29, actually, that's a typo. For you have not come to what, to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice who wards is talking about uh, um, Mount Horeb or the Mount of God, the, the sound of a um, trumpet and the voice of the wards who made the heroes beg that no message before was spoken to him, for they could not endure what was endure the order that was given, even if a beast touches a mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in, in festival gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteousness made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than the words of a the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them from earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. May we receive Jesus and give God all the glory. Revelation 16, 10 through 11 says, The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and the cursed, and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and their sores. They did not repent and their, of their deeds. The Old Testament background for the fifth bowl is Exodus 10, 22 and Zephaniah 1, 17. Exodus 10, 22 says, So Moses stretched out his hand toward, toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three, three days. 
Zephaniah 1.17 says, I will bring distress up on mankind so they shall walk in the, like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. This darkness is a foreshadowing of the darkness that is to come against those who refuse God's free gift. Matthew 8.12 speaks of the true end. It says, while the sons of the kingdom, the sons of Satan's kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They did not repent. Today is the day of salvation. Will you repent? Will you walk in repentance? I pray you do. Revelation 16, 12 through 14. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. The metaphorical interpretation sees this as a continued judgment against the chaos waters and a picture of how multitude, the multitudes of Babylon's religious adherents throughout the world become disloyal to Babylon, which is uh, seen in Revelation 17, 16. And then the ten horns you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make war, make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and born whole with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing them over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Verse 18, And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. The immediate context lends itself better to the river being dried up to allow kings of the east to join the campaign against Yahweh. And if you look at the map there, the Euphrates River starts up in the uh, left-hand side and flows across to the right-hand side of the the screen. It's a very long uh, river. Where do these frog demons come from? Well, they come from the mouth. I've never heard anyone speak without opening their mouth, without a mouth. Now, a ventriloquist can speak without opening his mouth, but he still has a mouth. These frog demons proclaim falsehoods with signs and wonders to deceive the whole world into battle against Yahweh. The Old Testament context would be Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a, a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or to that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Do not listen just because there's signs and wonders. 
we must follow John's advice in 1 John 4, 1 and test the spirits. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Why are the demons like frogs? The plagues of Egypt will shine some light on the imagery of frogs in Exodus 8, 2 through 4. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into your house and, on, and your servants and, and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up upon you and your people and all your servants. Now, some of us like frogs. I actually think frogs are cool, and, and I always made, well, I didn't make the acronym, but uh, that uh, fully rely on God. So, you know, I mean, it's kind of cool for the frog thing, so I'm sorry if I'm ruining uh, frogs for you. But the frog plague in Egypt was partly a polemic, meaning an argument against uh, Hequet. Uh, Hequet is the goddess of resurrection, uh, the Egyptian goddess of resurrection, represented by a frog. You can see uh, a, a man there or a person there with the head of a frog. That's uh, the Egyptian hieroglyphic uh, that's drawn out there. The deceptive activity is appropriately portrayed as frog-like since the evil triumphate, uh, the unholy trinity, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet are attempting to deceive people about the purported fact of the beast's resurrection. Remember, he has a wound that he appeared to be healed and he was raised. So this is the idea of these guys are going out into the world to deceive. The deception of the enemy should not catch us off guard, should it? For Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 10, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. God has offered us all a free gift of salvation. Will we receive it and will we live in the relationship with him or will we refuse him and perish? Revelation 16, 15 is an interruption into the narrative, and Jesus says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Here we have Jesus in interrupting the narrative with a message of encouragement to believers. It's, it calls the reader back to Revelation 3, 3, to Philosophy. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, and Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Revelation 3, 3. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know the at what hour I will come against you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1, Paul says, Now concerning the times and the season, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape 
But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not uh, of the night nor of the darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for the helmet of hope of salvation, clothe themselves, right? For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says, Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. And we're reminded of Christ's walk, which has prepared us for the day of the Lord. So it's not something to be feared, but anticipated. Come, Lord Jesus, come. For it is the final step in the redemption of all things. Those who believe won't be caught off guard, for we have put Christ on Christ and rest in his walk on the cross. We are blessed. Receive the blessing of Jesus. Revelation 16, 16 says, And they assembled them at the place in Hebrew. Sorry. And they assembled them at the, at, at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now, we know this term, Armageddon. Um, we have a lot of movies uh, that have this title. Um, and it's interesting. This word is so popular, but I think... Um, understanding it uh, is not that uh, well-known. Um, the gathering place is Armageddon. This, br this breaks into two words in Hebrew, Har, Megiddo. Har in Hebrew means mount or hill country. Megiddo is the name for a city and the plain at the south end of the Jezreel Valley. So here at the picture, you've got a faded uh, picture of the tell, which is the, the ruins of Megiddo. And, uh, and so uh, it's, it's obviously a hill, but it's not hill country and it's not a mountain. The city sits on a hill protecting the route to the Mediterranean Sea, which if there was an invading army coming down from the north of Israel, this is the way they would go to attack Jerusalem. There is no record of mountains or hill country named Megiddo. So the location is not 100% certain. But many scholars think that Armageddon is the city of Megiddo, and the armies of the world are going to gather here in the Jezreel Valley to prepare to attack Jerusalem. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and allowed voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. 
And there were flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since, that was on the earth. So great was the earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hillstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plagues of hell, for the plague of hell, because the plague was so severe. The seventh and final bowl is poured out on the air as judgment against the spiritual forces of evil. Paul reminds us of these forces being represented by the air in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. As you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. In Revelation 16, 18 through 20, we see a great earthquake judges Babylon and all the cities of the world. It is so severe that it rearranges the earth's topography. It reminds me of God's first judgment of the world, Noah's flood, which made the earth look like it is today. The whole earth covered in that cataclysmic event of the flood. The metaphorical interpretation is that the world system is destroyed in the last judgment. And I think that even if an earthquake, that would destroy the world system as well. So it's a both-and issue. Revelation 16.21 is the last event of the seventh bowl. It's describing hailstones of about 100 pounds falling on the people. The Old Testament background for this kind of judgment comes from Exodus 9.24 and Ezekiel 14.13. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, Very heavy hail, such had never been in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. And in Ezekiel 13, God's judgment against false prophets. Therefore, thus says the Lord Yahweh, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger and great hailstones in in wrath to make a full end. The response of the people is not repentance but to double down. They choose to curse God for his just judgment. Everyone has a choice to receive or to refuse God's free gift. In Revelation 16, 17, we have a loud voice from heaven, the throne of heaven, from the throne saying, it is done. This brings us back to Revelation 15:1 with them with the them saying the bowls of wrath, the wrath of God is finished, which then draws our attention to John 19:30 with Jesus on the cross declaring once for all it is 
finished. He took on the, God's wrath so that we have an opportunity to be children of God rather than children of wrath. So today is the day of salvation, church. Today. Will we refuse his gift of salvation or receive his gift of salvation? If you know the Lord, will you let the gospel touch every part of your life, willing and ready to share the hope of Jesus? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. And we thank you that, Jesus, you've made a way for us not to come under the wrath of God. Lord, we thank you that you are true and just and that the wrath of God is coming to re restore the world, to purify it for your new heaven and your new earth. And Lord, we look forward to that day. Lord, may we be about your business, sharing the gospel, bearing witness to your work in all lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.